the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and with me today is a Memphis wrestling legend. He's been a promoter, a booker commentator a manager and now even an author he is mr randy hales randy welcome in to the two-man power trip how you doing today sir hey john i've listened and watched your programs and i really like them and i've been fired up excited and ready to go and you are seeing interesting story here john you are seeing behind me the power pro wrestling logo power pro wrestling where i was the owner the founder and the president of power pro wrestling it debuted april 1998 and that was the banner around the ring for the hard camera i just recently thanks to my niece pulling some shenanigans power washing it took it back with her when i was living out of town Asked me, said, you want that, Randy? I said, I'll never want it again. But now I've got a lot of things going, and we're trying to bring back just my mission is exactly to keep the legacy of Memphis Wrestling alive and Power Pro Wrestling certainly a part of my legacy. And we have this beautiful banner. What do you think about our Power Pro logo and banner, Joe? John? Awesome. Very uh, old school. Uh, feeling when you know you obviously said 98 you just think of that era and being almost a WB developmental territory not almost it was a WB developmental territory so it's very cool I love it very very good so what we want to do is because I was Memphis wrestling born Memphis wrestling bred and until and when I die I'll be Memphis wrestling dead so hell I've for a long time kind of down on wrestling and didn't have much to do with it, did other things, but I'm fired up. I do three shows a week. I've done in the past podcasts. I love it, and I love everybody that comes out, and uh, you, your guests that you've had in the, the past, you have a great show, and I am honored to be here, John. Thank you. Appreciate that. Now, you know, you're mentioning Memphis wrestling and how you left for a bit, came back. What kind of reignited the passion? How come you're, you know, you're loving it back, in, you know, full bore? You know, I think it was because I did several gigs. I was a partner and a general manager of Sonic Drive-In franchises. By the way, maybe some people out there listening may chuckle a little bit. Maybe. Where are you located right now, John? Asbury Park, New Jersey. Is there any Sonic drive-ins around you? Yep. We have one that's not too far away, yeah. 
you know, in the town I live in, there's about six or seven of them. It's just oh, wow. fantastic here in Arkansas. It's near them, you know, pretty close to Oklahoma, of course, where Sonic came to be. But I did that for about 13 years and made the most money that I've ever made in my life. And then I had something come up and I went away. I ran away. You heard the saying, you run away and join the circus? Yes. That's exactly what I did, John. I joined the circus. My friend, legendary superstar Bill Dundee, who's five foot seven, two hundred and seven pounds, of the toughest son of a gun that ever came down the pike. The superstar was working a job as a marketing director for a traveling circus, and we used to come up in Jersey, both parts of Jersey, the beach part and the non-beach part. I love. New Jersey, for sure. I love being up there. I had that run, and then Jerry Lawler gave me a call. He was opening up with a partner, Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill. He knew he could trust me. He knew me, basically. He wanted me uh, because I had experience in the restaurant business, none in the bar business, and it was a bar. It was a bar business and the restaurant business. So it's called Jerry the King Lawler, and it's still there today. King Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill, the iconic uh, Bill Street in Memphis, Tennessee, 159 Bill Street. And there was so many. Lawler would come in a lot. Jerry Calhoun, Bill Dundee, Brian Christopher. I can keep naming them, but the constant that tied it to wrestling was me. I was the historian. I was the expert. I had spent many, many years on the TV wrestling program. So that was a lot of fun. And that's when I started getting interesting. I started interested in wrestling again. I started doing Facebook lives and Twitter lives. Then it evolved in the book, Living the Dream, Memphis Wrestling, the Randy Hill story. And it all came from there. And we continue to do shows uh, three times a week. And I've just fired up, and I'm excited, excited to do it. And I, shows like yours, when I had the the opportunity to come on to join you, man, this is just great. I appreciate this opportunity. Give us a little overview of the book, the Randy Hale story. Love to hear more about that. You know, I got hooked on on Memphis wrestling in 1970 one or two when I was 10 years old. My first job in wrestling was selling merchandise for Eddie Marlin, who was the promoter in Storyline. He was also a live event promoter, and he was a son-in-law of Jerry Jarrett, the owner of the company, as well as one of the top in the 70s, one of the top baby faces that there were was in the territory, and he teamed with, um, of course, you know, Tommy Gilbert, the father of Doug and Tommy, wrestling family. Um, so, so yeah, it just kind of started there. And when I was 13 years old, was the ring announcer. Eddie Marlin was the person that I sold pictures from or of and got five cents a picture back in the day, started writing the program, and it ended up, and around 1986, after I graduated from high school and was on the road as a ring announcer every day all over the territory, going to Memphis and Louisville and Evansville and Lexington, everywhere in the territory I would go. So it was a full-time job. And then Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett took time's book in the territory, and Jerry Jarrett wanted a break, so Lawler was going to take over the booking, and he needed a right-hand man. And I became the assistant booker and uh, general assistant general manager. And that evolved over the years and being the booker and being um, the general manager and running the company and, and through some memorable moments, including the Smoky Mountain Wrestling USWA program. And then the company was sold. So I went away and was able, when that went away, to start Power Pro Wrestling. And we tell a lot of details about that. I talk about my personal life. You know, John, we live life 
like rock stars. We really did. There's a lot of demons in there. I tell people all the time, say, who did you knock in the book? Who did you tell on? Who did you tattle on? Who did you stooge on? The person that I stooge on, I knock, I'm honest about more than anybody, tell all the diamonds, the demons, is myself. I, this is not a hatchet job. This is a truthful story of a guy that had a dream to be in the wrestling business, lived the dream, then it went away. That's an interesting story as well that I will leave to the book that they can go to Randy Hills, MemphisWrestling.com. Just great memories, great friendships, because it's pretty darn cool, John, when your heroes became and becomes your friends. And I can't tell you, Eddie Marlin was my mentor. If it wasn't for Eddie Marlin, there would be no Randy Hills in the wrestling business. The last year of his life, I packed up shop, left Jerry Lawler's barn grill. And for the last year of his life, because he took care of me when I was a kid, I was there as an unpaid caregiver and was stayed at him in his house. And I was uh, there until he passed away two days after his 89th birthday on August the 15th of 2019. So I think it's a very interesting story. I think not just for wrestling fans, not just for Memphis wrestling fans, but I'm happy with the success of the book. And I'm happy certainly with the uh, people that come out and rave reviews on the book. It's Randy Hills, Living the Dream. Memphis Wrestling. So if you hadn't checked it out, John, you need to. I definitely do. Where is it available? Is it your website or Amazon or both? At both. Randy Hills, MemphisWrestling.com. And also the advantage to that is that I can personalize it and sign it directly to you. And it's certainly available. Maybe the easiest thing. And I know you look like a a big shot. You got it all going. You're all over the world. You're not just in New Jersey. You're all over the world. So, so people overseas, out of the country, that sort of thing. Thing. Maybe the easiest way to do it is just order on Amazon. Just search Randy Hills Living the Dream. Now, just completely random question, and it's about Memphis wrestling. Who owns all that footage? It's, I talked to the Parsons. They were saying it, it's this. Talked to Jerry Jarrett. It's this. Corey Macklin thinks he owns it. Jerry Lawler has no idea. Who owns the, the footage? Uh, the classic Memphis wrestling stuff from the 70s on I'm with Lawler. Have no idea. No idea at all. It could be the group that bought the USWA from Jarrett and Lawler in 96. Uh, it could be them. Mark Selker is his name. I really don't know the Power Pro Wrestling days of my company. That was the very first developmental company for the WWE. Had a lot of success there. A lot of great talent there with that. I 100% own it. I'm the only one I know of that can prove they own a Memphis tape library. But it's just the Power Pro days, the three years. 154 shows. That's one of those things. It's like, wow, uh, you know, Corey Macklin makes tapes or, you know, whoever's doing tapes to make stuff. So like, man, who the hell owns that footage? Because the Memphis footage is classic, beyond classic. It's one of those things where so many guys came through there. Just, you know, Andy Kaufman, Dutch, Hogan, Beefcake, Savage, you know, the, the list, Bam Bam, list goes on and on and on. Just one of those things. It's like, man, that, that library is really worth a ton if you, you really think about it and in later years of course Dwayne the rock johnson i don't know yep. if you said sting and the ultimate yep, warrior true. and then yep. certainly uh flex cavana you know that name the rock rocky yeah yes he came through in 1996 and then in the power pro days uh both kurt angle and daniel bryan so power pro wrestling is a hidden secret and the reason why was it was just on one market the memphis market and the memphis people know about it and was loyal to us and supported us and it was great it was not set up the business model not set up 
like the traditional territory system because it was more of a television show where we ran live events, but no weekly towns. And we did our weekly stories and our main event type of matches played out on Power Pro. And so Power Pro is a different type of thing, but the roots of Memphis wrestling is all over the place. I watched the show in 1999 and played a segment on my show um, a couple of weeks ago where we actually showed a 1999 appearance from the Diamond Ring Cadillac Man, Sputnik Monroe. Sputnik so much a part of the history of Memphis wrestling, a history of Memphis. He helped the cigarette gate of the town of Memphis and, and what a hero he was. So Sputnik Monroe came back to Memphis. He was being awarded some kind of deal, big deal, prestigious deal. And he came in and I got wind of it and we brought him to a Memphis live event and also for the TV and at the live event, he was special referee. So that's that the Power Pro Wrestling Collection, John, has something for everybody. But it's still, without a doubt, Memphis Wrestling. Love it. How did that deal come together? Though? How does Power Pro become a part of the WB developmental system? Does Jim Ross do that? Is that you reaching out to them? How did it come down? First of all... Back way back in '93, when and maybe yeah, I believe it was '93 when Jerry Jarrett started um, talking to Vince McMahon. Then he eventually moved up there and was a part of the inner circle. Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, and different people went there. And then Lawler had a lot to do with the working relationships. I said, "Yeah, Vince, I can make your Monday Night Raw, but I'm going to have to." Uh, Memphis is my lifeblood. We're going to have to have talent. So it was an unofficial working relationship. Again, I said they sent Flex Cavana, Dwayne Johnson in here and different, different people. They would send Bret Hart to work a Mid-South Coliseum program. That's before Raw was uh, airing weekly live. They would tape two or three, four at a time. And so they weren't booked every Monday night. So it evolved from there. Then when I opened up Power Pro Wrestling in April of 1998, one of the people in the office, very good friend of mine, was Jim Cornette. I approached Jim Cornette with the idea to get talent from the WWF, and and then it started as a working relationship. And then as they continued to send people in, Matt Bloom, who is the head trainer of NXT to this Day came in here as Baldo, and he had to run so much talent. So it evolved into a developmental territory. We were paid to do that. So revenue-wise, between the TV revenue we received from WMC TV5, who had a long-standing history of having the highest-rated wrestling uh, come wrestling television program of anybody in in the country and so they would pay us when most people would have to pay for television time they would pay us then we started getting wwe money and it became secondary for house shows still did it still did it a lot but the main revenue was tv money sponsorship of money and of course WWF money. Love it. So corny, Jim Cornette was uh, all a part of kind of sealing the deal there, making that happen. He was my contact. Of course, Jim Ross was the head of talent relationship. So once we got to sign our name and dot dies, cross the T's, all that hogwash that you have to do in business. I dealt with Jim Ross and lawyers and big shots and people I never heard of as well as people I did here. Uh, but Jim Ross basically was the person responsible for supervising all talent, including the de- developmental talent. So we would send the tape of every show 
they like to have reports of my opinion of how each talent is doing and it just evolved through the years so who's the one that's actually putting like the roster together for you guys is that just you or are they sending guys down there to you like like a daniel bryan like a kurt angle or are you kind of saying like oh i want i want them in not from the because it was developmental it was people except for kurt angle who was famous not as a professional wrestler, but as an Olympic gold medalist. So they would call, whether it was JR or Jim Cornette and Bruce Richard was a part of that talent relationship. What talent relations deal? And they would call and say, hey, and who in their right mind would say, hey, we got Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle we've signed. Would you uh, would like to have him? And would can you take him in three weeks? You know, it was they, they would would call in and yeah, I would make a, a spot because we were getting significant income out of that and all their talent. Some made it, some didn't. Sensational Steve Bradley is one that I had high hopes for. There's just so many over the years and they would just send video. They would send photos, different things, and I would just work them in. Of course, with the I, I used to to say that I had a Memphis Legends division, Lawler and Dundee, and so many others. We had the fabulous ones on the first show. We had Austin Idol. There's just so many, and we had had that. We also had the developmental crew that we certainly included in stories and pushed big time, and that was a great part of it. I also had a division called the Young Gun division and that was the more athletic and and faster pace division and we had that so so you had something for everybody they could see the Lawlers and Dundies and Valiants they could see the future WWF or WWE stars and then we had a local base that at that point probably had more matches or not probably they did have more matches in their belt and we incorporated that locally we had two announcers that was a key especially dave brown longtime partner of lance russell by this point lance had moved to florida to pensacola florida he wasn't available another guy that had for years been the co-host of the show Corey macklin we got so it just all kind of blended together. And you wrestled, right? A little bit down there. You wrestled Cornette and maybe Michael Hayes, right? You had a couple matches there, didn't you? Uh, yeah, more than a couple. I mean, Brandon Baxter and myself had a, about a year program that started in the USWA days. And, and we did do something with Scott Bowden that on youtube and it's very good stuff and jim Cornette, yes i would do that from time to time as well what do you think about getting in the ring that's a little bit different for you well you know it's here's the thing and you know i won't lie to you i won't say especially this was a time period where wrestling fans through the observer and the torch and whatever else one wrestling.com they could for the first time read about the magic tricks about the secrets and that sort of thing so they did not like the fact and and people that you, you it's a debate today that people talks about five-star matches or seven-star matches the wrestling business is real simple it's about connecting with the audience and it's about drawing money or getting people to watch on tv people in memphis tennessee grew up from the time i was a kid so they were emotionally invested in me started the program with me in the middle of the interview had no idea this happened to be that i was doing a promo with Jerry Lawler, and we were saying that Austin Idol was scheduled to be there, but he was here the week before, but he didn't show up at the airport. Lawler made fun of me, and then the people started buying Lawler, kind of blaming me for, yeah, you should have known better. And then right then, and this was nowhere on the format, 
The only thing on the format is interview, promo, Lawler and Randy. In parentheses, it said, explain why our idol's not here. But when the people reacted to me, then I just smart aleck comment to Lawler right back at him. And he absolutely, through all the, the years, the decades that he'd been on television, he saw what I was doing. He fired a backup of me, and we did probably eight, ten months, me and Lawler. And that was never the plan. But it was because the people were invested in me. They grew up watching me. But they were more invested in Lawler. And when I had a beef with Lawler, they were going to boo me. And then we brought people in, like Billy Travis, like Kane, as a matter of fact, in a first Mid-South Coliseum show, blast off uh, in the dome when Kane came in here fresh off his debut in the WWE. So it just made it natural. Me and Brandon Baxter, he, he at the time, 150 pounds, he had debuted several years before in the USWA. And so just the people got in it into it when I booked it in the USWA days in 95. And then three years later, once I switched heel, I said, where am I going to go with me? Because I have heat and I don't need to go away. So me and Brandon had the program and we did personal issues kind of thing. And the people bought it 110%. No doubt about it. How did the Power Pro and WWF relationship end? Like, is it because of OVW or what happened there? No, not not at all. It had absolutely nothing to do with WWE, uh, Ohio Valley in any sort of way. We we were developmental before Cornette had left New York to come back here. We we were there uh, first, and and how it. Uh, how it ended is, uh, and it's in the book, how it ended, Jerry Lawler and I had uh, had not really parted way, but we weren't real close because he ran for mayor of Memphis. And at that point, the TV station said, hey, he's running for mayor. We can't have him on the TV. And I hated that, and he blamed me a little bit for it, even though I yelled and screamed and argued and said we had to have him and they just said hey, equal time, we'd have to we put him on, we had to put all the candidates on and then after that there was the incident that I don't talk about I'm sure you know what I'm talking about but I don't uh, pass is the past and it was a situation uh, and Lawler uh, and I had a bad party of the way and that put put the relationship between the WWF and me in a bad shape. Lawler went to work for Memphis Championship Wrestling, and he basically politicked to have that company get developmental, and they pulled all our guys. Then, when that wasn't really clicking, because when you have a television show taped in the National Guard Army compared to to the tradition of having a TV show. And I like Terry Golden, the promoter of that group. I really had to realize I really liked him, but we were on different pages of how we thought wrestling should be promoted and booked and that sort of thing. But that did not work out. And Lawler reached out to me and we kissed and made up and uh, did it again. And then just about three weeks before we went off the air, it, did not have anything to do with this, but Lawler had a conflict with the WWF at the time and was fired. And his wife, Stacy, at the time, Stacy Carter, the cat, was fired. And so basically, I was going to continue to use the developmental guys because I had a contract with them, but I was going to continue to use. Lawler as well, and Vince didn't like that idea, and obviously fences have been mended since then, uh, but I had the choice. They said, if you continue to 
to use Lawler. We don't want Lawler and the WWF talent together. Again, things have changed totally, and it changed in less than a year. It wasn't long at all. But I had the choice, Lawler or the WWF. We were coming to a renegotiation of the contract with Channel 5. I didn't know, no matter what happened, who was going to be there, no matter what. The TV show going away because they had plans to take out the wrestling studio and expand the new studio. So several weeks later, when the contract was, I had one, one week notice, and I was bitter, and I was mad. I was just flat out pissed off at the world for that. And so that that was bad, bad time. So we went down swinging, but when we went down swinging, we swung with Jerry Lawler and our, and our aces at the time. Because you remember we had Daniel Bryan, but who was Daniel Bryan? He was a young kid trained by Shawn Michaels that just started in the business that wasn't this, the yes movement, Daniel Bryan. You know, right. it's just a whole difference. So that's basically, basically it was a, a love relationship most of the time, but it was a off and on. Here's the thing. I think, you know, you know, Jim Cornette personally. Yes, sir. Does he love you or does he hate you? He loves me. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why, but he loves me. I have no idea I, why. I love Jim Cornette. One of my closest friends in the wrestling business. There's no doubt about it. This is one thing he did better. And this is a, against everything you hear on his podcast, his total personality. One thing Jimmy did better than me, and you won't believe this, this might make you pass out and fall out in your chair and somebody may have to run in, do a run-in on you and make the save to finish this program. Jim Cornette was more political at the time with the WWF than I was. You know, I was hard-headed and stubborn, and and they tell me, like, they didn't like the fact that I'd use local talent and tell me not to, and I'm, I'm not going to do that, especially after you pulled the deal on me once before, and I'm just not going to do that. So, but Cornette was able to get along with the Bruce Pritchards of the world and the, the different people, and Bruce and I didn't click, and I didn't care for Bruce too much. Jim Ross, I love, love to death, still love him today. But Jim Cornette is more political, or was at that time with the WWF, than I was. Now, when he finally blew a gasket, gasket threatening to kill people and leaving voicemails and going nuts, I never got to that point, but I never played the game. And I wish I would have played it a little bit better. But no matter what, John, no matter what, it was a change of TV philosophy, a change of general manager, ownership and all that. We were out of there. That was just going to be it because they wanted the wrestling studio for the new studio. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm thinking even if I would – politic but is that i've got older now and i got more mature and i've done different businesses i was wrestling for life at that point but i do regret not getting along a little better and i take the blame for that surprise Cornette being the the political uh voice of reason there that is surprising yeah politic uh, getting along all that's sort of thing after Smoky Mountain went out of the way and he got that job for them first as a talent and then in the office. Cornette is absolutely brilliant, brilliant. But as you know, he gets to the point where when he snaps, when it goes, brother, it goes more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. That's what makes him so entertaining. That's what makes him so successful as a wrestling manager, as a booker, and also as a podcaster. I mean, his podcast, you look at the views and the likes on his stuff, his YouTube's and everything thing out. He's just a tremendous, tremendous talent, no doubt. 
one of the best, if not the best talker of all time. Definitely well, up there. I would not agree with that. I would always oh. to this day, because I'm Memphis wrestling born, Memphis wrestling bred. When I by God die, I'll be Memphis wrestling dead. Jerry Lawler is the best talker ever. Cornette is up absolutely on the list. Absolutely high on the list. But Jerry Lawler is number one. And I think Cornette would not list himself as number one. I really don't. And I don't think he has. As far as Lawler, obviously, you know, you know your Memphis history. You know everything about Memphis and Lawler. What's like the best Lawler feud, you think? What's what's your favorite Lawler feud? My favorite, and, you know, there's just so many that's great. My favorite is the longest-running feud. Maybe went longer than the famous Sheik Bobo Brazil feud, but I go with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. That was my favorite. There's so many twists and turns. Dundee, a heel, Lawler, uh, a heel. Um, when Dundee's a baby face, you know, Lawler's a manager losing his hair, and then Dundee losing his hair, and Dundee's life, wife losing her hair. Lawler and Dundee, absolute. I'm saying absolute, and you will hear me say absolute a lot when I talk about Memphis wrestling, the Memphis territory. Again, my mission is and always has been to keep the legacy of Memphis wrestling alive. I also like Lawler's program with Austin Idol and then Tommy Rich and the hair match and Paul Lee. I like Lawler's. Um, Lawler's made. Uh, Russell, a lot of world champion. My favorite world champion, because I thought they just had tremendous chemistry, and he wrestled all of them. He wrestled Jack Briscoe and Harley Race and Ric Flair, and I can uh, go Terry Funk. I can go on and on and on. But as far as world championship, the AWA world champion, Nick Bonkwinkle. Nick Bonkwinkle and Law are one of my greatest, my favorite of all time. I love when Lawler was a heel back in 1974. He had a tremendous run in Memphis, a tremendous run selling out to 11,500 seat Mid-South Coliseum. Sold out against Ricky Gibson, the older brother of Rock and Roll Express member Robert Gibson. He would uh, had a heck of a run with Bobo Brazil. He, just so many over the years. And if I had to, to do a top 10 list, I got my number one, but it would be hard to do it. Uh, his program with with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and the Gilbert family. I could go on and on, John. What's your favorite Jerry Lawler feud? I got to go Idol and Rich 87. That feud was just awesome. It's unbelievable because it just keeps building and building. And if you think about it, when they do the cage match, Lawler loses, technically, he loses the feud. I know it would continue about a month or so or a few months later, and Lawler finally gets his win back. But the cage match where you think Lawler definitely has to win, he's going to get his head shaved, Paul E. cheats, Tommy Rich, it, you, that's just shocking. Even back in, in 87, you're like, holy crap, I can't believe Lawler technically lost the feud to Idol. Just perfect mix. Love the chemistry with those those guys. And then throw Tommy Rich in there, too. It's awesome. Yes, and that's certainly way up on the top. But, you know, Andy Kaufman. Oh, how God, can you yeah. not say yeah. that? And, yep. and again, Terry Funk and the empty Coliseum match. He and Dundee against the Blind Bombers. Wayne Ferris, the future Honky Tonk Man. And Larry Latham, the future Moondog Spot, the Tupelo Concession Stand brawls. I will argue with anybody. I'll argue with you right now, the run Lawler had from um, the early 70s when he first got his push, teaming with Jim White, with manager Sam Bass, all the way through winning the AWA World Championship in April of 1988 against the future Mr. Uh, Mister Perfect. You know, it's just, I, to me, you can throw Flair, you can throw Luthes. Just Lawler's career has been unmatched. 
so many damn good feuds. It's insane if you like look at his career. You're like, wow, this feud drew money. And then this feud, like, you, know, you just literally go 1982. Just if you just look at 82, it's like, okay, he has this awesome feud with Dutch, Dutch Mantell, and they're having this great thing. Then all of a sudden, it parlays into the Andy Kaufman stuff, and he becomes on another stratosphere. David Letterman, the smack around the world, the broken neck. I mean, Lawler, uh, he's got to be up there as one of the all-time greats. He's just unbelievable. What a run. Had a run with Kamala that drew a lot of money, and that propelled Kamala to different territories, then had that big run in the, the WWF. And here's a guy that wrestled as Sugar Bear Harris, and the genius of Lawler and Jerry Jarrett transformed him into Kamala. I can go on and on, John. I mean, I really can. I can go on and on, and I love when I get in a debate with this situation, I can throw facts and figures all at anybody uh, that will listen. A unmatched, unheralded run that Jerry Lawler had in Memphis, Tennessee. What was his best drawing feud? Like what feud of his drew the most money? By the way, let me throw in, I loved his feud with Dutch Mantel. I could go, go, go on and on. Most money and um, most people, because the eras change and the tickets go up and that sort of thing. I would say uh, Lawler and Dundee and the blow-off matches will sell out and that sort of thing. The cage match, even though it was close, the cage match with Idol and Lawler, everybody wants to talk about, it, and it is a part of the history, did not sell out. It drew money. Wow. wow. It drew money, but it did not sell out. And then if you go go back and, and you go uh, way back, him and Jim White sold out multiple weeks with Tojo and Jerry Jarrett. Lawler had his very first money drawn single run was against Jackie Fargo. And over the years, I can't tell you how many sellouts they had. He sold out the Mid-South Coliseum with Tommy Rich at one point, And I could probably do it if press on the top of my head, but there would be kind of dead air on there. There at one time I did a list on everybody. He sold out the Coliseum with everybody from, uh, Bill and D to Bubble Brazil, you know, people that you think, who is this guy? You ever heard of a wrestler by the name of of Don Anderson? Yes. Lawler put him over on Memphis TV, uh, sight unseen. Nobody knew him. The following Monday night, the return match was a sellout against Don Anderson. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you're a pretty smart guy. You might know who Don Anderson is. I bet not 2% of the audience. Because where the hell else is he? Don Anderson ever wrestled. Right. Didn't he also do that with King Cobra, too? He's like, I'm going to lose this guy. Watch. Next week, we'll, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll sell out. That was a little different. And that didn't sell out. Because oh, no. That, okay. was la- that was later in the years. That was in the 90s. Whole different situation. I love King Cobra. I love him. To death, but that didn't do the business uh, because just the wrestling landscape has changed and so so much has changed, but it did not sell out like the Don Anderson thing. Had football players like Ron Michalocek or uh, Mike Stark that came in sight unseen, but the people knew him through the football, and he sold out with them as well. With him and Dutch, just going back to that for a second, they are technically cosmic brothers born on the same day in the same year. So that's kind of a weird thing with them. And they're almost not the same height, but they're, they're not that far off height and weight. It, it's a weird thing with those two, the way they connect. They were both born on November the 29th, 1949. And so coming up in several months, then I believe both will be on their next birthday. I believe I'm right on this. They'll be 72 years old. Right. Right? Is that the right math? I believe so. Yes. 
I could Google it. Everybody yes. Googles, but yes. you tricked that is me the out. Math. Yes. <laughs> hey, I can't. I absolutely. In the it's the birthday is in November. You know, I can't cheat because you threw a curve. I'm going to expose the business. I'm going to expose your business. I'm going to let everybody know watching this. It just so happened when you reached out to me last week, by the way, to you sent me about eight minutes before this show. I have so much going on. I totally forgot about this show. Oh, my God. I totally Randy, forgot. come on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got not a wrestling guy anymore, been out making money and then got home and working on the house and the yard and doing normal human being stuff, that sort of thing. But you sent me a thing said, hey, and I'd heard of the podcast and I've listened to the uh, podcast, but I'd never watched the podcast. I've just seen or uh, heard several audio versions. So uh, when you said click on a link, so I was going to click on a link. So I came, came so I knew I wanted my, my, uh, my laptop. So I came in here. I had no idea where this interview was going. I had no idea. But I thought in the back of my mind, so I'll be all right. It's audio interview. And so if he asks something that I need to research real quick, I can do it. But just when I logged in and I saw my face on this deal, I'm thinking, what in the hell is this? We are going to be on screen. So it just so happened that I came into the laptop. This is a work I just moved uh, to uh, maybe two or three weeks ago and this is a work in progress i do three shows a week about memphis wrestling and i use haps tv to broadcast and it's live programs haps tv then i simulcast on all my other platforms but this room uh, is um uh, let me explain it you see this side of the room i have a table and i have the laptop and i have the Power Pro background. So this will be the set for my Monday show, talking, watching Power Pro Wrestling. My Tuesday show is more a general Memphis wrestling show, as is the Thursday show, the ultimate Memphis wrestling video cast. And so I needed another set. So this room is my office slash studio. And I have this set with this beautiful Power Pro banner behind me and i just happened that's where my computer was was setting so i just got lucky john i got lucky you know i was setting at the right place so we have a very nice background with that banner from that first debuted in april 1998 see i'm not googling people i'm doing that from my mind can you believe that yeah. i think Cornette and i are a lot alike because he refers on his podcast and i need to ask randy hills about that i need to ask randy hills about that because obviously Cornette had left to go to bill watts's territory then the rest is history on that but i had no desire to go anywhere else but here and stayed here and wish it was still going today i really really do but um, i'm smarting people up i didn't know this was not this was going to be a video show so john you tricked me i threw you a curveball how you like that threw you a curveball but i think we're doing well and this is yeah. fun and we're checking it all out it is cool it looks good do you like the set do you like how the setup is i love john? it i love it now that you can't look anything up, let's let's throw you a curveball, right? Let's throw you a little. Uh, let's see. When did Lawler beat the Dream Machine to regain his championship? I'm just randomly throwing that out there. I'm just <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so you're trying to make me look like shit. You're trying to make me look bad. You're trying to switch me heel because <laughs> I can guarantee you that 20 years ago I would. Now I'm joking. I'm being yep. a little funny, a little comedy in the uh, there so when uh Lawler ended up evolving that awa world title to into after he won the title in uh, 1988 and then they merged it with world class all the stuff they 
did. The merge title is the title, the unified title is what we call it. And this was in um, 1994. When that merger did happen, going back a few years, with Jerry Jared and and Vern and and Fritz and originally when they were kind of coming up with this this you know, the super clash and you know concocting this big merger, what did you think? Like, what did you think it was going to work, or is it just three different guys, really three completely different promoters and three completely different promotions trying to compete against Vince? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Absolutely, I've been taught my whole life. Even by Jerry Jared was said it a million times. Promoters just don't get along because each one of those guys, first and foremost, they were going to take care of their own territory. They were going to make as much money for themselves and didn't really care about anything else. So I'd been taught my whole life, promoters don't get along. And so, you know, when it happened, I just didn't think that it would last. And, you know, the AWA relationship went south first and then the Fritz deal went uh, Oh, for, I was mad at Jerry Jarrett at the time, and so in 1989, I left for a few years because I didn't want to have nothing to do with him, and I did other stuff. Again, hot-headedness, and I kind of regret that that as well. Oh, but, yeah, they're, they're bound for failure. Vince McMahon made the joke that they couldn't even agree on what to order for lunch, let alone make business decisions together. you pretty much agree with that? Well, I think that might have been a little because who cares what they had for lunch? And right. I don't think any of the promoters. So I think they could have agreed. They could have all got different stuff. You know, that's just something Vince has said. But as far as business decisions, which was the most important thing, and I'll steal from uh, Jim Ross that he says all the time on his podcast that I like. He says all the time when they say, it's not about the money. It's all about the money. And that's the thing here. And all their parts. And any wrestling promotion that any promoter I've ever known, including myself, it's all about the money. Very, very true. I feel like Jerry Jarrett, obviously, and Lawler, became close with Vince a few years later, but, you know, Vern and, and Fritz never liked Vince much. Well, I think, first of all, I think they're probably smarter than anybody else, for sure. And I think they saw the writing on the wall. Jerry Jarrett is a promoter. Lawler as a talent that certainly it evolved in the long run with JR and the announcing. But I think they saw the writing on the wall. It's all about the money, John. It's all about the money. They saw, especially Lawler saw, how much money that he could make doing that. Lawler had a lot of money. I would guess that Lawler's a millionaire. If he'd have stayed in Tennessee and it was all over by 2001 anyway, do you think Lawler would have as much money now? Right. Hell no. Right. Hell no. Wrestling fans, a lot of people listening to the, the thing don't want to hear this. It is a business. It's a changed business. It's a different business. Here's how I'm different than Cornette. As you know, certainly he gets a lot of of steam off of knocking not just AEW who he hates, but he hates a lot of the stuff the WWF where I try to go with the philosophy and I had this idea years ago. I used to hate it and I won't name names here, but there's names to be named that older wrestlers always don't like the next generation I and don't like the styles and they're killing the business I heard people in the 70s say they're killing the business and now there's more millionaires in wrestling all the people say oh there's no, nobody watch wrestling the viewership the how it's just a different business but it's all about the money the bottom line is the money and you can't argue with the money 
more people, there's more millionaires in wrestling now than there ever has been. So that tells me, John, that they're doing something right. Right. To a certain extent, yeah. They just made a couple billion dollar deals with Fox and Peacock and then before that, Saudi Arabia. So they must be doing something right up there, uh, up there in New York. And same thing with AEW. You know, you might not like the creative. Who does wrestling companies, whether it's Tony Khan or Vince or Ring of Honor or New Japan, or that might be unfair to say, but cer- certainly they're in the deal to be as successful. And back in the day in the 70s, the business had evolved from the 60s, just like the 60s evolved from the 50s and the 80s, certainly from the 70s. And then uh, it's just a continual cycle. And the wrestling business and, and the people that say it, that it's the least popular it's ever been and it's dead and it's all that. And it goes back to that same thing. Just my wrestling was better. This wrestling won't work. And it does. I'm not going to lie and say I think that the current product is better than my product. But I'm also the same person that thinks it's based on how you grew up, where you grew up, what time you grew up. Because I can tell you right now that any television show that's on today, I like Gunsmoke. Back in the day, better. I like All in the Family and Good Times and, and all those classic shows because that's what I was raised on. It's the same. This is not a popular at all. This is not a popular statement. But life evolves and the business changes. The thing that probably makes me sicker, and obviously I'm open to that. I've Basically, I said if you can't beat them, you join them, and with people talking home, open about the business and letting the genie out of the body, out of the bottle, I'd do that as well. Certainly, no doubt about it. But do I like it better when it was presented like sports? Do I like it better when it was presented as real, when we didn't tell people how we did that magic trick? Certainly, I did. No doubt, 100%. But once the secrets got out and wrestling seems, you know, the wrestling fans today just watch for, they don't believe it. They A great majority of them likes the ha-ha and likes the laugh or they like the athletic stuff. And, and it's just a different, different business. And I like the business back then better, but how the world evolves, it's just going to happen in life. And it happened through the time that I've watched wrestling. So I don't want to, here's my point. I don't want to be the bitter older man, like a Buddy Wayne, or I can go on and on and on. And I love Buddy Wayne, had a son recently on the Ultimate Memphis Wrestling video cast. I love uh Buddy Wayne, I really did. But he thought the fabulous ones, Stan Lane and Steve Kern, were killing the business. Music was killing the business. It just changed, folks. So I'm not going to, my point of this whole mess is I'm not going to be the bitter old man. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. So as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. Again, just mention the book, you know, uh, where they can get it, everything about it, why people should get it. It's about life. It's about living life, following your dreams. It's about living life with demons. It's about living life with a rock star. It's about living your dream. It was pretty easy to know pretty easy to know why I named that book Living the Dream, 
because it's a shoot. It's a true story. Ten years old, skinny kid from northeast Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, told everybody, I'm going to be in the wrestling business. Now, I thought I was going to be an announcer. I didn't know what would come with the promoter and the booker and, and all that sort of thing. Never had the go or the desire to be a wrestler at all. And even though I've had wrestling matches, I'm no wrestler. But it was my dream to be in this great business. And it was my dream to be in the Memphis wrestling business. Warts and all. Having your heroes become your friends. Having fun more than road trips, being at a wrestling show every night. There's nothing like it. There's the pitfalls, the downs, the controversies, the getting out, the getting back in, the getting out again. And here we are writing the book. I think it's just a real life human story that wrestling fans will love. I think wrestling fans will like, and hopefully they'll like this show tonight or today as we're recording, John. I think they'll like this. I think they will like the book because I encourage anybody because I get it. If there's young folks listening or watching this program and you think wrestling is the WWE or WCW or national wrestling television, I get it. I really get it. But this is a great business, a great sport, a great way to make a living, a great way to touch people's emotion. And nobody did it better. And again, maybe it's not all about the money in some aspects, because based on where we were located in Memphis and Louisville and Evansville and Nashville and Jonesboro, Arkansas, where my story began and where I sat right here, right now in Jonesboro, Arkansas, the side of the first time I went to a wrestling match. Where money doesn't matter is the beauty of this business, and Memphis did it better than anybody, is connecting to the audience, making people believe a whole building of 12,000 people thought Jerry Lawler was the toughest son of a gun that ever came down the pike. Believability and realism and going for memories. People want to listen to this show today. I do a radio show, an hour of a sports radio show in Jonesboro, Arkansas. They asked me once I moved back home from Eddie Marlins, Jonesboro, they asked me to, to uh, call in and come in, whatever. Then it, the pandemic happened and you couldn't go on the radio station. But they want me to do an hour about wrestling. That turned into a show, one hour, every week, every week. And it is, the host says it. He's been doing this show for 20 years. The most hyped show, the most successful segment that he's ever done is the Wrestling Hour with Randy Hills. Thanks a Think about it. Some wow. people have memories awesome. from 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. People call in every week. People always talk in Memphis wrestling, always had something to say. And I hadn't run out, even though I do that, plus my three other shows. And I want to plug that, too, if yeah. I could, John. Absolutely. I'm on, on all my Facebook and my Twitter and the Power Pro thing, my Twitch, all over the place. But the best way to go is to HAPS TV, because that way you can be a live guest, just like I'm a guest on John's program, video-wise. But you can be a live guest on my show, but you have to do it, even though you can watch it on the other platforms. The only way to be a guest is to sign up for HAPS TV, totally free. HAPS TV, then you subscribe to the Randy Hills channel, and then you say, you send a request, join the show, and we'll get you on the show it's my mission to keep the legacy of memphis wrestling alive i do that with the book that you can find at amazon living the dream randy hills or go to randy hills memphis wrestling.com my mission the legacy of memphis wrestling we're keeping it alive awesome loving that's a perfect way to end it 
Love Memphis Wrestling. Thank you, Mr. Hale, so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Some great stuff. Hey, I got to throw out best wrestling announcing team in the history of the world. I love Lawler and JR. Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And I will end this way as Lance ended all the wrestling shows at Channel 5 and Channel 13 in Memphis. For John, this is Randy Hills saying bye-bye, everybody. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.